Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Good. Are you excited for today? I am. I am very excited for today. We have some people who are going to be baptized today. We had some in the first service, and then we've got more in the next service, and then we've got food truck Sunday. Don't forget about that after this. So this is just going to be an awesome day. And don't forget, we've also invited all of our neighbors around here to join us for food truck Sunday. So you may see people that you don't recognize and be sure to welcome them and make them feel at home. If you're new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in week five of a series called How to Neighbor. And I have really, really enjoyed this series. How many of you have enjoyed going through the How to Neighbor series? Has it been good for you? Here's a, it's been, I have, I have really enjoyed it. There's, there's just one thing though. How many of you have been, have had your toes stepped on by the How to Neighbor series? Anybody like, oh man, I should be doing this stuff. Yeah, me too. Okay. This has stepped on my toes as well and taught me a lot. So it's been really, really good to go through. I don't know if you've been here for every series with us, But if I were in your shoes, entering now week five of the How to Neighbor series, I would be a little bit disappointed. And here's why. What's the title of the series? How to Neighbor. How to Neighbor. And we really haven't talked about a lot of the hows yet. We've talked a lot about the foundational principles that you need to understand before you do those things, but the reason we've spent so much time on some of those foundational truths that you need to have as kind of your bedrock before you do these other things is before you get into the how, you have to know all the whys. You have to know the reasons for why we do this. You have to have the foundation right in your life so that as you engage in the hows, you don't find yourself burning out Because you got all into the practical stuff, but you didn't have the foundation to back it up. And so we've been working on those foundational truths and principles to get to this point where we get to be a little bit more practical. Now, I'm a very practical person, okay? I love practical application. I don't want you to just teach me something. I want you to teach me why I need to know it. I want you to teach me how I can actually use this in real life. For example, trigonometry. When I started learning trig in high school, the first couple of weeks, it was very, very frustrating for me. And I did not like trigonometry at all. And I knew that I was supposed to memorize these formulas and how to, how to figure out the sine and cosine and tangent and all of that stuff. But it didn't click to me how any of that worked in real life until my dad, who's an engineer, gave me this little pocket reference book. And one of the pages in that reference book had, well, several of the pages, had some formulas from trigonometry, and it kind of showed me how you could actually use those in real life. And all of a sudden, it clicked for me. All of a sudden, I got it. I understood why the, the trigonometric functions were so valuable to us. I understood how to figure out heights and distances and angles and, and calculate when you only have a couple of those things and why that would be useful to us. I even, get this, I even started to appreciate the mathematical elegance of solving problems with a bunch of imaginary triangles and how all those kind of fit together. And suddenly it clicked for me. And guess what? I started to love trigonometry once I understood how I could use it in my real life. Now, I have to be honest with you. Today is the very first day I've used trigonometry for my job. (laughs) And it was just as an illustration. But it still counts. 
And I still loved it once I understood how I could actually use it in real life. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, you know, you're telling me this is important, but until you tell me how I can use this, I'm not really sure what to do with it. I'm not really sure if I can internalize this and apply this in any way until you tell me where does the rubber meet the road? Where can I actually take this and make this practical? And that's where we want to go today. We want to see the practical applications for how to neighbor. And we're going to do that in the book of 1 Peter. So you can go ahead and turn there if you want to. Turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3. We won't go there just yet, but you might as well take the time to turn there. You can use the YouVersion Bible app on your phone if you want to. You can go to efree.org Bible and you'll find everything listed there. There's a little link with all of the, the scriptures are listed there. But go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. That is where we're going to be this morning. And while you're going there, let me just give you a quick review. For those of you that maybe this is your first Sunday and you haven't been with us the whole time, let me just share with you in really brief some of the principles that we've talked about up to this point. The first week, we talked about the two greatest commandments. The two things that Jesus said are the most important thing you should do with your time. Does anyone remember what the first one was? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the most important thing. But what is the second most important thing you should do with your life? Love your neighbor as yourself. And what's really interesting is that when Jesus was asked this question on multiple occasions, the answer was not, well, the greatest commandment is to go make disciples of me. That's, that's not what he said. Yes, he commanded that at another time. Yes, that is important. But when he was asked about the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, he said, love God, love others. That is your mission. And so from that we learn that we don't just love people so that we can get the point of trying to make them into disciples. It's not just a tool for us. It's not just a technique for us. It's not something we do so we can get to that point where we share the gospel with them. We actually love them because that is our mission. Our mission is not just to go and make disciples. We often think of it that way and we call it that way, but when Jesus was asked, he said, no, no, the greatest things, the two greatest things, love God, love other people. And yes, as a part of loving other people, one of the most loving things you can do for them is to share Jesus with them if they don't know him. So we're supposed to love our neighbors, right? And that raises an interesting question. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We're supposed to love our neighbors. Well, who counts in that group? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus was asked this question. So we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. And we talked about how the Good Samaritan teaches us that our neighbor is not just people that are like us. Our neighbor includes the person next door and the person who doesn't look like us and we don't like very much and maybe they don't like us and everyone in between. Our neighbor is everyone. Jesus said, you're supposed to love your enemies. Even though the popular teaching of the day was you were supposed to hate your enemies. Jesus said, no, I want you to love your enemies. Your neighbor includes everyone. But then we talked about another way to ask that question. Not just who is my neighbor, as in who's in that group, but who is my neighbor? Who are they really? How well do I know them? How do we get to know them? We talked about ways to do that. If you want to see that, go back and watch the earlier messages. You'll see we talked about how to get to know and build relationships with the people around you. Relationships that go deep, that don't just stay at the surface level. Who are they really? 
You know, Jesus, when he talked with people, he had the power to know internally what their problem was and to snap his fingers or say a word and just fix it. Think about this. Jesus did not have to waste a minute of time talking to anyone. If he viewed people as tasks, he could have just walked up to them or he wouldn't even have to walk up to them. He could see them from a distance and just go, poof, your problem is solved. Thank you very much. But he didn't. He asked them questions. He got to know them. He talked with them and engaged with them and built relationships with them. Why? Because he cared about the person, not just the task. He wasn't just there to solve a problem. He was there to serve people. And so we talked about the fact that our neighbors are people, not projects. They are people, not projects. And then we talked about the story of Mary and Martha and how Mary chose something that was better, which was to sit at the feet of Jesus. And if we are going to serve other people well, what matters most, the foundational thing before we can do that is we have to be Jesus' student. We have to sit at his feet. That was the terminology for someone who made themselves a disciple or a student or a learner of a teacher. It's not just sitting at his feet and basking in his spiritual glow. It meant to learn from him and to apply that teaching to your life. And so we need to learn from Jesus. All of that is prerequisite to what we're going to talk about today. If you want to live this stuff out and do it effectively and successfully and sustainably and not burn out, you have to have that foundation before we go there. And now we're going to get really practical. John sort of kicked off that transition last week. He started to get really practical toward the end of how you can serve your neighbors. And we're going to build on that today. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you if you would just bow your heads with me. We're going to pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and for what it does teach us. And I pray that you would help us to have receptive minds and hearts to hear what you communicate in your word through Peter. Lord, help us to internalize these truths, to sit at your feet, to learn from them, and then to go and apply them in our lives this very week. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you're in 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to go to verse 15. 1 Peter 3, 15. This is where we're going to start this morning. It is a, a phenomenal verse. And what I want to do, not that they aren't all great, of course, but 1 Peter 3.15 has been one of my favorites for a long time, even much longer than I realized its real significance in the context around it. So oftentimes this verse kind of gets picked out and used as a standalone, but you've got to understand the context that it's in to really get what Peter is saying here. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to verse 15, and then we're going to zoom out. And we're going to take a look at what is he trying to accomplish with this whole letter that he's writing them. So, 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, I love this verse because it challenges us to be ready to share the hope that we have, which is our faith in Jesus. And maybe some of you are here today and and you're thinking, I don't really have that hope. I'll tell you, we would love nothing more than to be able to share the hope that we have in Jesus, how he has transformed our lives, how he has healed us, how he gives us hope even in the darkest times, how he gets us through some of the roughest circumstances in our lives. Jesus is our hope and we would love to share that with you. It It would be horrible of us not to be willing to share that with you. 
So I love this verse. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But there's a really important question tucked away in this verse. A critical question that helps us to understand what Peter is really driving at in his whole chapter, in his whole letter really here. So I want you to look carefully at this verse. If we understand this question, it is going to radically change the way we live our lives, I promise you. So here is the question. Why would they ask? Always be ready. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, to explain it. So why would they ask? And for some of you, that question might just be enough for you today. Just to ponder that and think about that. Is there enough in my life to demonstrate that there's a hope here that someone should ask about? The way I interact with people, the way I respond to them. Does that demonstrate a hope that someone else would want to have? Or from their perspective, am I just like everybody else? Why would they ask about the hope that you have? And that's what we're going to get at this morning. The really practical, how do we show that we have hope? How do we demonstrate that to other people? Because Peter doesn't just drop in this verse out of nowhere. There's a context to this. There's a background to this that we need to understand. If you go back earlier in the letter of 1 Peter, Peter actually tells his readers to be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors so they will see your honorable behavior. He wants that to be visible. He wants your behavior to be seen by them. Be careful around your unbelieving neighbors to live properly so they will see your honorable behavior. And then earlier in this chapter, he talks to wives who have husbands who are not believers to tell them how they're supposed to live their lives with their husbands who do not believe in Jesus, do not believe in the same God or follow the same God that they do. How are they supposed to live in that setting? And then we come to verse eight, and that's really where I wanna start this morning. In verse eight of chapter three, Peter says this, finally, all of you should be. Finally, all of you should be. Literally in the Greek, that means in conclusion, every one of you have this. And then he mentions five Things In our translations, we have lots of extra words there, but in the original Greek, this is actually like seven or eight words in this verse. It's really, really simple. It's just finally, or in conclusion, all of you have this, that's another word, and then five words of things you ought to have, five attributes that we ought to have. That opening phrase there, finally, it's kind of like saying, I'm almost done, but hang in there a minute, this is really important. We preachers do this all the time because we see you. That's right, I see you up in the balcony. I, I know you're there. And we see when people are starting to zone out a little bit. It's okay, we don't take it personally. At least maybe, maybe some of us do, but I don't. We see when, when the audience is starting to kind of zone out a little bit. And we know that if we're getting to that point where we've just got one more big thing we've got to share that's really important that you've got to hang on for, we can just say, in conclusion, and everybody's, oh, he's almost done. (laughs) I can pay attention now. You laugh because it's true. (laughs) My last point is, and then, oh, oh, good, okay, here we go. This is it. This is the the thing. And that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, finally, you're in conclusion. I've I've got one more thing here. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching here, and I'm not going to 
I'm not going to point or do anything to reveal. I don't even know who this was. But at the end of the message, I looked out over all of you and I happened to see one person, arms out like this, lounging back in the chair, head tipped all the way back, eyes completely closed. And here's the best part, mouth just gaping wide open, just ah. It took so much restraint to not ask all of you who are listening, could we just quietly leave the room and play a trumpet sound effect and just see what happens? Really, really freak them out. So we know when it gets to that point, we've got to make sure that we say, okay, I'm almost done. Hang in there. This is really important. That's what Peter does. And just like a good preacher, by the way, Peter is nowhere near done yet. He says, finally, and he's not even halfway through the book yet. That would be like me saying, in conclusion, and then finishing the rest of my time. And this whole time you're thinking, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, let's land this plane, come on, let's go. So Peter's got a lot more to work through here, but he wants to draw our attention to something. He wants to point out something that he thinks is really important. And so he says, finally, or in conclusion... You've got to have these things. You've got to have these attributes in your life. Hang in there. You've got to listen to this and pay attention to this. And we're just going to talk about those five things, okay? The first thing he says is to have unity. Have unity. Our translation says all of you should be of one mind. Now that that is one word in the Greek, okay? Be of one mind. That's one word. And it just means harmony. Live in harmony. Live in unity with each other. You should be united. Don't cause divisions. Don't be argumentative. Don't be combative with other people. Find ways to live in unity. It's really hard to love people well when you're always criticizing them or arguing with them or fighting with them. So how can we have unity with other people around us? including our neighbors. How can we have unity with our neighbors or harmony with our neighbors? Well, here's an idea. What if you were to host a block party? It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but you could, you could start by just you know, uh, writing some cards or, or uh, some flyers or something like that and going around knocking on people's doors. And if they aren't there, just you know, leave one on the doorknob or something. It maybe involve some of your neighbors in helping to put on the block party so it's not just you. And as a part of doing that together, that will help build unity. Come up with some ways to bring your neighbors together so that you can get to know each other so that you can have that unity. Or let's say that one of your neighbors has a really hard time keeping their yard in shape, you know? And every time you see it, you just think to yourself, come on, man, property values here are just going down because of you. If you just mow your yard and trim those bushes and all that stuff. And maybe instead of complaining about it, you could offer to help them with it. And just say, hey, you know, I've got, I've got all the tools. Would you like to, you know, hang out and, and take care of this together? And you might just find out they've got a, a health condition or something that keeps them from being able to do that. So instead of complaining about it, offer to help and, and you unite with them in that process. What if you started spending more time in the front yard instead of the backyard or inside? We don't use our front porches like we used to. Uh, but... A lot of our front porches have chairs on them that have never been sat in, right? They look nice, but they never get used. A couple of weeks ago, I just decided I was in my house. I was working on my computer, and I said, you know what? It's a beautiful day outside. I'm just going to hop out on the front porch. I'm going to do my work out on the front. And one of our neighbors came home from work, 
And as they were walking by, they, they stopped and talked. And we ended up talking about some of their past and challenges in their life and struggles that they're dealing with now. And it actually got really real just because I made a simple decision. I'm going to take what I was doing inside. I'm going to do it in the front yard. In the driveway, in the yard, on the front porch, whatever it is, take some of that stuff that you were doing in the backyard or inside the house and move it to the front yard. And create those opportunities to interact with your neighbors, to build up that unity. The second thing that we need to have is sympathy. Sympathy. The root word here means to suffer. To suffer. And the specific word that's used by Peter is to share in the sufferings of. To share in the sufferings of. I know that today we kind of draw a distinction between sympathy and empathy. But this word in its original context refers to actually sharing in the sufferings, the hurts of someone else. To be willing to walk through some of the downs of life with them. Suffering is not always a bad thing. God allows suffering in our life to help us grow, to teach us, to to bond us with each other, to teach us to rely on him. Think of King David. Think of Moses or Job or Jesus or Paul, all these people for whom suffering was an important part of their journey. Suffering is not always a bad thing. And I don't think there's a more powerful way for you to show love to another person than by just being willing to sit and hurt with them. Not to try to fix their problem, just to listen, to pay attention, to be willing to go through that. A few years ago, my wife and I did a bonfire in the back of our house, kind of spur of the moment. And we didn't know if many of our neighbors would come, but we just put the word out there and they had been in our house already several times for different things. So there was a comfort level there and we actually had a lot of them show up. So we just had this bonfire and a bunch of neighbors came over and we had great conversations. And, and then towards the end of the night, a lot of people had left, but somebody stuck around and ended up talking with Jenny about um, some issues that were going on at home. And just for her to be there willing to listen and hear those things, that's a big deal. And it it bonded us with that neighbor. There was a level of of connection um, and, and unitedness that happened as a result of that just because of being willing to listen to some of those hurts. Sometimes when other people get emotional or start to cry, our reaction to them, for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us can be, don't cry, don't cry. And in reality, what that communicates is, I'm not comfortable with your emotion. I'm not comfortable with you hurting in front of me. And maybe what we ought to say is, go ahead, cry. I'm here for you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to hurt with you. Share in the sufferings of other people. And I know some of you may say, hey, hold on. I don't know the suffering of my neighbors, I don't know what they're going through right now. I barely even talk to them. I have no idea what my neighbors are suffering through right now. And for you, I have a phenomenal tip. Okay, so get your pens or pencils ready to write this down. This is an amazing tip. Are you ready? Ask them. Now, don't walk up to them and say, hey, how are you suffering right now? Like, don't do that. But in the course of conversation with them, you might ask something like this. Hey, what are you excited about for the future? What are you looking forward to? And listen. And what are you least excited about for the future? What aren't you looking forward to? Where do you hope to be in a couple of years? What are your goals in life, your dreams? You're going to start to hear some of those things. Hey, I pray every day, and I would love to pray for you. Is there anything I can be praying for you? You'd be amazed at how people 
who may even say they don't believe in prayer or in God will say, yeah, you can pray this for me. And you'll start to hear some of the things that are going on in their life, maybe some of the sufferings that they have. So have unity, have sympathy, and then have brotherly love. This version reads, love each other as brothers and sisters. That's just one word in the Greek. It's philadelphoi. And this word means brotherly love or loving like family. And I know that some of you may have to imagine more than others what good family love looks like. For some of you, you just go, oh yeah, that's the kind of relationship I have with my parents and my siblings. And for some of you, you're like, that is not the relationship we have at all. But the idea here is of a warmth and of a, of a familial love, of an authenticity to the relationship where it's not just I'm doing this because I want something from you. I'm not doing this because I have some kind of hidden agenda. I'm doing this because we're family. How do you, how do, you do this? Well, what types of things would you do with your family if you're really close to them? Would you have them in your home, even if it's not perfectly clean? Would you have them over for a meal? Would you offer to watch the, the kids of a, a sibling so they can go out on a date or something like that? What would you do for your family to just care for them because they're a relative of yours? That's the idea of brotherly love, loving each other like family. If you have family that you're close to and they live close by, then you kind of do life together, right? If you're close with them, if you have the kind of relationship that Peter's talking about here, you just do life together. And that's the idea of having brotherly love. The fourth thing we need to have is tender hearts. Be tender hearted, Peter says. The literal meaning of this word is awesome. It is have healthy bowels. That is actually what that word means. Have healthy bowels. Because the bowels, the, the guts, were the place of emotion in the ancient world. And it actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it. When you get really emotional, where do you feel it? In your, in your gut, your, your stomach is in knots. Or you have butterflies in your stomach. You have different things that happen in your, in your gut, in your bowels, because of the emotions that you have. So it actually makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm thankful that this didn't carry on through today because I think it would change a lot of the the terminology that we use, it wouldn't sound nearly as romantic, um, you know, if you think about it. Or, you know, all those people that just say, bless your heart, you know, can you add, bless your bowels? It's like, it doesn't have the same ring to it. But what this means is to have kind feelings toward other people. This is about your emotions, about your feelings, which you do have a remarkable amount of control over, I might add. To have kind feelings toward other people, warm gentle, gracious thoughts toward those who are around you. One of the reasons we don't have tender hearts toward other people is because we don't take the time to get to know them. And so we have one or two negative interactions with them and suddenly they are branded in our minds with that negative interaction. And every time we see them, there is a little asterisk in our mind that says, remember, they did that thing or said that thing that I didn't like and so now I have bad feelings about them. Or maybe they didn't do something or say something that I wanted them to do or say. And so now I have bad feelings about them. Because we haven't taken the time to get to know them really. And so one or two bad interactions, which let's be honest, for neighbors is very possible, can make you have this perception about them that is negative and you don't have a tender heart toward them. Because you're holding on to that little bit of information and you don't actually know them, the, the real them, the whole story. One of my favorite quotes is something that Mr. Rogers used to carry around in his pocket, a little slip of paper that said, frankly, 
There isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. There isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. So how can we have tender hearts toward our neighbors? Well, here's the thing. Be sensitive to their needs. Be sensitive to how you may be uh, causing them some frustration or annoyance. If they need to get up at work at 5 a.m. the next morning and your favorite time to work on your motorcycle is 10 p.m. at night, maybe that's not a good arrangement. Maybe you need to change that to be thinking about what's going on there. If they have little kids that probably nap in the afternoon, but that's your favorite time to mow the strip of yard that's right between your houses, maybe pick another time to mow the yard. Be sensitive. Be tender-hearted to their needs. Look for those opportunities. Care enough about them to track the important things in their lives. Maybe you need to have like a notebook or a document on your computer or something where you've got your neighbors and you're listing things to keep track of, like birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. I mean, how caring would it be for you to, number one, remember an anniversary of, let's say, a young couple with kids, and then offer, hey, would you like me to watch your kids so you can go out on a a date night for your anniversary? That's that's two points for the price of one. That's the kind of thing we're talking about, tender-hearted caring for our neighbors. There's one more thing that we need to have, and that is humility. Peter says, keep a humble attitude. This means to have our thoughts appropriately low about ourselves. That's that's what it actually means. Now, appropriately low, not to think degrading thoughts about ourselves. Hey, listen, you are made in the image of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit inside of you. You are a temple for God. You should never think of yourself as this lowly, low life thing because that's not how God has created you. It's actually disrespectful to God to think that lowly about yourself. But what this is talking about is not thinking too highly of yourself in respect to other people. Because everything I just mentioned, all of that is because of God, not because of you. It's not about us trying to impress our neighbors. You know what I'm talking about? The one-upmanship that goes on, like he got a new car, so now I need a new car. And they just put in a pool, so guess what we're getting in our backyard You know that type of thing? There was one person I met, and within five minutes of meeting them, I had learned all of the awards their child had won in the last few years. They just could not stop telling me all the stuff that their kid did that was amazing. Why? Because we try to impress other people, and that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not having humility. We shouldn't be thinking of ourselves as better than other people. We're not. We are sinners. They are sinners. We're made in the image of God. They are too. And so we shouldn't think of them as lower than us or us as higher than them. I was walking out of the zoo this week. We went as a family and as I was walking out, there was this lady that walked in. She had this shirt that said, sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of how awesome I am. (laughs) We should never live our lives thinking that we are more awesome than other people. That's having humility. What can we do? to have humility with our neighbors. Well, ask them to share about their life and really genuinely listen to them. Listen to their story. Don't be thinking of what you're gonna say next. Listen to them. And when you get a chance to share about your story, don't just share the highlight reel. Be willing to get vulnerable. Where have you messed up? Where have you failed? People don't need to know that you've got it all figured out. They need to know that you know someone who has it all figured out, who's transformed your life. You actually do a disservice to the gospel of Jesus by making yourself look perfect. 
Jesus is far more glorified when you are honest about your weaknesses and point people to him. We need to have humility with our neighbors. Five simple words. Unity, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humility. And then quickly, we're just gonna go through the next few verses that lead us up to verse 15. Verse nine says, don't repay evil for evil and don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. So two don'ts, don't repay evil for evil, don't repay insults for insults. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. And I love this, search for peace and work to maintain it. Why? Because peace is not something that comes easily. You have to really work for it. You have to be intentional about it. And once you get it, you can't just think, well, that's it. We're always going to have peace. We're always going to get along. You have to work to maintain it. It will take work, but it is worth it because the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face on those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, here we are, verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because, why? Because you belong to Christ. Not because of how awesome you are. Not because you're so good at so many things. They will see how how good of a life you've lived, not because you try really hard, but because Jesus has made a difference in your life. They need to see that. That needs to be visible to them so that you can share, so that they will ask, Hey, what is different about you? Why do you seem to have hope even when this is going on? Can you share that with me? And then we need to be ready to share with them. We need to be willing to talk with them. We need to create the opportunities for those conversations to happen. And we'll talk more about that next week. There's a a bookmark in your weekly program. If you got one, if you didn't, there's more when you leave. And this has several ideas on it for how you can reach out and love your neighbors at home and at work. There are lots of ideas on there and there there are many more that I I couldn't even fit on there for you. So here are some other thoughts. You could do a a fall cookout this season. Maybe host a playoff party. Do a neighborhood Christmas party or arrange a caroling event with your neighbors. You could start a Facebook group for your neighbors or use the Nextdoor app to communicate with them and coordinate some of these things. Get everybody's cell phone numbers so that when there are issues, you can text each other. I love the fact that my neighbors, if they can't get home for some reason, they know that they can text us anytime and we'll go over and take care of their dogs for them. We just have that kind of relationship and we borrow things from them and they borrow things from us and our kids play with their kids and we just have a great neighborhood relationship because we've tried to get to know people and had them into our house and gotten each other's contact information. Use leverage the the resources that we have at the church to help you do this. We have so many things that we offer here at the church so that you can use that as an outreach for you with the people that you know. Do you know someone who could benefit from Celebrate Recovery? Or maybe you know a mother of young kids that would really love to be a part of our MOPS ministry. 
Or maybe there's someone you know of that has kids that it would be great for them to go to the parenting conference that's coming up. I mean, you could even offer to buy tickets for them and just say, hey, would you be interested in, in going to this? It's at my church. Just use the ministries that we have here. There's so many things going on. Maybe it's an international family and you know that they are trying to kind of learn and absorb English. We have an English as a second language ministry here. Use the things at the church to help you in reaching out to your neighbors. Here's what I want you to take away from today. The practical side of this. Nothing that I have mentioned requires a degree. Nothing that I have mentioned today requires special training. Every single one of us in this room can do the stuff that I have talked about. It's not a question of are we equipped or are we capable. It's a question of are we willing. Are we willing to do the things that God has told us to do in his word? Are we willing to make it a lifestyle for us to love our neighbors well? And to make that practical, to be intentional about it, to actually make that a lifestyle for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. Thank you for using us as your servants to minister to other people around us. And Lord, I want to love my neighbors well, my actual neighbors and everybody else that I interact with. And I think a lot of us here want to do that. So I pray that you would open our eyes to see the opportunities that are all around us that we may not even be aware of. Give us creativity, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Give us ideas so that we would be able to see, okay, what are some opportunities here that I can be reaching out to my neighbors and show love to them? And then help us to do it. Help us to make it a part of our routine. Help it to change the way that we live our lives so that we are always thinking about how to love and care for our neighbors and those around us. Having unity, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts and humility as we interact with them so that, so that we can point them to you because of the change that you have made in our lives. And we thank you for everything you're going to do through it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.